Due to the graphic nature of this haunted place, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes descriptions of a massacre. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Alina mashed her backpack into a pillow. Then she lay down, stared at the thick canopy of leaves above her head, and sighed. It wasn't comfortable, not even close, but it was better than her foster home back in Cluj-Napoca. There, cramped with the other kids in a small house in the city, it was always hot and crowded. At least in the woods, she had the place to herself. Well, almost to herself. Alina put a hand on her belly. She was pregnant. When she'd found out, she knew her foster parents would kick her out. So she'd left on her own accord, thinking she'd find a quaint village nearby. Out in the Romanian countryside, she hoped no one would care that she was a 16-year-old single mother. That's how she found herself sleeping on the fringes of the Hoya Bachu forest. She'd heard the forest was haunted, But there are always tales about places being haunted, and they never really are. And the woods didn't feel spooky, just peaceful. The trees were delightfully quirky, and they were bent in different patterns and angles, and entwined with other trees. It made them look like dancing lovers. Alina closed her eyes. Maybe she'd just stay here. She'd have her kid and they could live in the woods together, away from all the bustle and judgment. She would never leave her child, unlike her parents. She imagined sleeping under a canopy of leaves with her little one's small hand gently clutched in her own. The image was so vivid, she could even feel the soft, cool skin of her future child against her palm. She smiled and squeezed. But unexpectedly, something squeezed back. Alina's blood ran cold. She slowly turned her head to look to her side. A young boy, around 12 years old, lay beside her. He was so pale, he almost glowed in the night. He whispered that he knew Alina felt lost. But she couldn't stay here. He'd kill her if she tried. Welcome to Haunted Places, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Greg Polson. Every Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. You can find all episodes of Haunted Places and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And every Tuesday, make sure to check out Urban Legends. These special episodes of Haunted Places are available exclusively on Spotify. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the Hoyabachu Forest in Romania and discover why, to this day, it's haunted. Coming up, we'll take a stroll into the dark underbelly of the most haunted forest in the world. The Romanian city of Cluj-Napoca dates back 2,000 years 
though it wasn't officially founded until the 12th century, when it was known as Cluj. It's now the fourth largest city in the country, and is considered the heart of Transylvania, one of Romania's most historic regions, and by far its most legendary. Transylvania has become synonymous with vampires and boasts a treasure trove of haunted lore. So it's no surprise that just outside of Cluj-Napoca lies what's considered some of the most terrifying acres on Earth, the Hoyabachu Forest. What makes Hoyabachu stand out among your average haunted woods are two things. One, a string of disappearances that have led some to call the forest the Bermuda Triangle of Romania and two, its flora. The forest is home to strange, misshapen trees that grow sideways or twisted in a clockwise spiral. The odd growth pattern is a bit of a mystery, as is the circular clearing in the forest where no trees grow at all. Some say this circular void is a portal to another world. Others claim it's an alien landing spot or a holy site for witches. Still others say it's crowded with the ghosts of slaughtered peasants. Whatever stalks through the forest's strange foliage, one thing is for sure. You do not want to get lost in Hoyabachu. It took Ferenc a few moments to realize he was being shaken awake. His mother, Hanna, loomed over him. Her usual smiling, patient face was filled with fear. She told him to put his shoes on, quickly. A scream came from outside. The sound of galloping horses made Ferenc's senses sharpen. He sat up and asked his mother what was happening. Hanna shook her head. The invaders had come, she told him. They needed to leave now. Ferenc's chest tightened. They had heard for months now that the people to the south wanted to drive all Hungarians from Transylvania. Hanna tried to keep the truth from Ferenc's 12-year-old ears, but he'd heard the whispers. And he knew what their arrival meant. They would kill them all. Screams filled the air, and Ferenc looked out the window in alarm. He asked Hanna where his father was. She didn't respond, but Ferenc saw the clench of her jaw and the shine of tears in her eyes. Something had happened to his father. When they opened the door, Ferenc could see an orange glow from the other side of town. Their village was burning. He looked back into his home one last time. The wood chest that his father carved for him still sat on their kitchen table with his books strewn around it. He knew he didn't have time to take anything. He had to run for his life. Hanna gripped Ferenc's hand tight pulling him toward the outskirts of the village. They weren't the only ones running. At least a hundred souls were sprinting towards the forest ahead. It was a place that Ferenc wasn't normally allowed to go to. Since he was a little boy, he'd been told the woods were dangerous, the place where the veil between the earth and hell was thinnest. The forest must be respected, just as it was to be avoided. If you perished in the forest, Hanna had warned him, you would be trapped between life and death forever. But now, it was the only place to hide. The fire from the village roared behind them, and Ferenc looked back to watch flames lick the night sky. And then, from its fiery depths, the silhouettes of riders appeared. They were chasing them! 
The dark, gnarled trees of the forest were just ahead. Their branches bent toward the village, like they were reaching for Ferenc and his kin. How turned around everything was. His home had become a hellish inferno, and what had always terrified him now felt like a refuge. Ferenc heard the men cutting down the stragglers behind him. He could hear the soft thud of bodies hit the ground as his neighbors fell from a torrent of arrows. Ferenc's heart pounded, but he didn't let go of his mother's hand. And suddenly, they were in the woods. They wove through the tall, looming trees that stood like somber guardians. Ferenc looked back. The riders had dismounted and were running into the forest after them. Ferenc's sobs came out in big, heaping gasps. There was no denying it now, as he realized. These men wanted to kill them. Hanna and Ferenc's pace didn't slow for an instant, even as they staggered over stumps and branches. Up ahead, there was a break in the woods, a clearing. Hanna suddenly screamed and stumbled forward. Ferenc tried his best to hold her up, but his arms weren't strong enough. They both crashed to the forest floor in a heap. Hanna moaned in pain, and Ferenc saw that an arrow had pierced her calf. Ferenc tried to haul his mother up. Hanna's agonized cries tore at his heart, but she managed to rise with him. They staggered onward, until finally, they burst through the trees into the clearing. The moon shone so brightly that Ferenc squinted against the light. All around him, the surviving villagers emerged, running from the woods. But as he looked back at the tree line, he also saw the raiders. They stepped into the clearing, one by one. Their weapons were raised, and many of their faces were speckled with fresh blood. Ferenc gripped his mother's hand tighter, and turned to see that the murderers were on the other side of the clearing, too. They were surrounded. One of the men bellowed a command, and they began to advance. The villagers crowded together, some sobbing some wielding sticks they'd picked up to futilely defend themselves. Hanna pulled Ferenc close. His chin quivered, and every part of his body trembled. They were going to die. The men tore into the circle of villagers, cutting them down easily. Ferenc looked at his mother in panic, and her eyes met his. She murmured that she loved him. An axe came down hard on her chest, dropping Hanna to the ground. Ferenc stared at her limp body in shock as blood slowly soaked the grass around her. A short cry left his lips, but as he watched his mother's blood seep into the earth, Ferenc thought about what she had told him. If you perish in the forest, you could be trapped between life and death forever. They'd been right to fear the woods, for it had become their tomb. The irony was that these men had sought to drive them out, but by killing them here, all they'd done was make them a part of this land forever. Ferenc turned to face his soon-to-be killer with steely resolve. He yelled to the man that they might spill their blood, but they would never make them leave their home. The moonlight glinted on the man's axe as he raised it up and swung it down into Ferenc's young neck.
Around 1848, in the wake of the Hungarian Revolution, Transylvania was left in turmoil. The region was torn apart as neighboring kingdoms fought for control over the land, leading to a series of bloody uprisings and massacres. As a result, countless innocents, those who called Transylvania home, were slaughtered. Among these massacres was the brutal attack on the Hungarian peasants carried out by the neighboring region of Wallachia. Though there are no records of what massacres may have occurred near the Hoyabachu, legend has it that the ghosts that haunt the forest are the spirits of those slaughtered peasants. And they very well may be the origin of the Hoyabachu hauntings. Many of the men, women, and children who were murdered during the revolution were killed because one group of people labeled them as interlopers in their own home. Maybe that's why they cling to the gnarled trees of the forest to this day. They may have been killed, but they refuse to be driven away. Coming up, a shepherd risks his life for a dare. The internet, what would we do without it? So much information, so little time, and yet with all the answers available online, there still lie scores of deep, dark, spooky secrets. Mysteries yet to be solved until now. This isn't clickbait. This is our exclusive new podcast, Internet Urban Legends. I'm Loey, your evidence expert. And I'm Eleanor, the self-proclaimed skeptic. Together, we're the gruesome twosome, sleuths in search of the weirdest stories on the web. Every Tuesday, we investigate the internet's creepiest conundrums, covering each conspiracy theory and combing through every clue to separate hoax from haunt. Whether it's the video sure to make you lose your appetite, blank room soup, or every kid's worst nightmare, the terrifying truth behind Disney's deaths, or every parent's worst nightmare, social media's Momo challenge. Each episode of Internet Urban Legends is chock full of disturbing details which are either truly demented or ripe for debunking. And no matter our conclusion, we're sure to be left scared half to death. So won't you join us? Follow our new Spotify original from Parcast, Internet Urban Legends. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify. Now back to the story. Those who have walked among Hoyabachu's crooked trees often report feeling sick or anxious. Others even claim that they've gotten rashes or burns on their skin while walking through its wooded paths. The forest's energy seems to inflict psychic and physical harm to those who dare enter. But it's not just what you feel while in Hoyabachu that makes the woods so strange. It's also what you hear and see. Visitors have reported hearing disembodied laughter or witnessing ghostly figures walk between the trees. Almost all of these stories take place in the area of the forest known as the Poyana Rotunda, or the Clearing, a nearly perfect circle in the forest where no trees grow. Some people say the circular meadow is a portal to another dimension, and if that's true, then maybe the whispers that visitors hear are just the hum of energy caused by the clearing's power. Or maybe they're warnings to those who dare to enter.
Bondi watched in awe as his older brother Ambrush rode one of the most stubborn sheep across the field. He waved to them, smiling, while making a show of staying on the lurching animal. Bondi knew Ambrush was just showing off for Marquit, their pretty neighbor, who sometimes accompanied them on their shepherding trips. And it was working. Marguerite clapped for him from her perch on a nearby rock. Ambrush did an over-exaggerated bow and faced Bondi with a triumphant smile. Bondi was 11, and Ambrush was only a year older, but Ambrush always treated him like he was a pest. The brothers were supposed to watch their father's sheep together every day, but Ambrush usually went off with Margit. Except for today. Today, Bondi had the opportunity to prove he was worth being around. So when Ambrush told him it was his turn to pick truth or dare, Bondi announced that he'd take the dare. He felt a swell of confidence. He'd never picked a dare. But that confidence disappeared when Ambrush pointed to a dark tree line that loomed just over the hill. He told Bondi to go and fetch them a twisted branch from the woods. Bondi's heart thundered in his chest. The Hoyabachu forest was haunted. Everyone said so. His parents had told them never to go in. They claimed there were bitter ghosts there waiting to steal your soul. Bondi tried to calm down. If he did this, he'd earned Ambrush's respect, and maybe he'd be included more often. Besides, the forest couldn't really be haunted. Parents just didn't want children getting lost in there. Bondi took a breath and nodded. He would do it. He just needed Ambrush to watch the sheep. His big brother rolled his eyes. Of course he would, he said. Bondi sighed. Ambrush didn't know the first thing about herding, since he was always leaving him with the flock. But he wouldn't be gone long enough for any damage to be done. So, with one more breath to steady himself, he left Margit and Ambrush and made his way toward the woods. Bondi stepped into the trees, stopping just inside to calm his nerves. It was very quiet, unnervingly so, like all the forest creatures were lying still, watching him. It felt like he was trespassing. He walked a few steps further, his eyes scanning the dark, twisted trees looming around him. He needed to find a branch to break off so he could get out of here. Then, one tree caught his attention. Its appendages looked like thin, twisted arms. It was perfect. He grabbed the trunk and tried to snap one off, but it was harder than he thought. Bondi stopped. He was sure he'd just heard a giggle. He heard it again. Then he saw a figure dash behind a tree. Bondi laughed. Oh, Ambrush. He was clearly trying to scare him. Bondi yelled that it wasn't funny. And then, a figure stepped out from behind a tree at the forest's edge. His face was in the shadows, but Bondi could see Ambrush's light brown curly hair, although his clothes were different. Now he wore a grungy white tunic with red embroidery. It looked old-fashioned, like something their grandparents might have worn as children. Bondi asked him where he'd found these clothes, but Ambrush didn't answer. He ran. Bondi watched him go in confusion. Was this a test to see if he was brave enough to follow? If it was, he didn't want to fail, so he took off in pursuit. But after a few minutes of running, he slowed to a stop. The woods were quiet, 
with no sign of his brother. Bonty felt something touch his arm and jumped. Then the shadows from the trees above shifted. Bondi could finally see his face. It wasn't Ambrouge. The age was right, and the hair was exactly how his brother wore it. But this boy's eyes were wider and icy blue, and his nose was thinner and his cheekbones gaunt, where Ambrouge's face was always flushed and full of life. Bondi's gut twisted. He felt like he'd been punched in the stomach. Who was this boy? He was about to ask, but the boy's grip was getting tighter and tighter. Bondi hissed in pain as the boy's nails dug into his shoulder. He tried to pull away, but the grip was too strong. The boy whispered that his name was Ferenc, and he didn't like to be chased. None of us do, he warned. Bondi glanced up. They were no longer surrounded by twisted trees. Somehow, they were now in a clearing, though Bondi couldn't remember running to it, and they weren't the only ones there. A group of people stood at the clearing center. Their embroidered clothes were flecked with mud, and their faces were somber as they stared at him. Ferenc still wouldn't release Bondi's shoulder. Instead, he murmured that this was their forest. They had died for it after the last time they were chased. All of a sudden, the men and women shuffled quickly over to Bondi. Within moments, he was surrounded. Bondi whipped around frantically, taking in the strange people's unsmiling faces. He didn't know who they were or what they wanted, but the air was thick with something. Bondi realized it might be their anger. He trembled. His stomach was in knots. I thought you were my brother, Bondi desperately told Ferenc. He explained he didn't mean any harm, that he was just here for a stick. But Ferenc whispered that nothing in this forest was his to take, not even a stick. All of a sudden, Bondi felt the hands of the men and women surround his neck and squeeze. He stared at Ferenc as he struggled, his vision dimming and his body slowly giving into fatigue. Bondi's last thought was about the sheep. He hoped Ambrush would watch them. Legend has it that a shepherd disappeared in the forest along with his flock of 200 sheep, never to be seen again. His name was Hoyabachu, and it is said that he is the one who gave the forest its name. There doesn't seem to be any consensus on when Hoya lived, or what the forest's name was before he vanished, suggesting that the tale of his disappearance was more folklore than an actual event. But if it did happen, Hoya isn't the only one who has been swallowed up by the forest's twisted woods. In the years since, others have followed suit. For this reason, some call Hoyabacho the Bermuda Triangle of Romania, and those who enter risk never returning. Coming up, a young girl tries to creep through the woods undetected. Now back to the story. 
Oyabachu Forest has been the subject of lore among many locals for hundreds of years. But in 1968, it went international. A Romanian man named Emil Barna took a few photos of a mysterious disc-shaped mechanism floating in the air over the clearing. He had no reason to lie about what he had witnessed. In fact, he risked his reputation in releasing the images. Shortly after making his report, he was fired from his job as a military technician. Emil's pictures made an already mystifying place all the more confusing. Linking the forest to ghosts and passage between Earth and Hell had already provided people with more than enough to talk about. But a potential alien presence throws the forest into a whole different realm of the unexplainable. Tourists from all over the world still visit the forest to form their own theories about the woods and its supernatural oddities. These visitors are rubberneckers of the eerie and macabre, but they're also trespassers. Christina quietly watched her parents walk around the edge of the forest. Their camping packs looked like massive shells on their backs, like beetles, and they were just as gross as beetles too. Although maybe morbid was a better word for parents that brought their 12-year-old daughter to tour a haunted forest, Christina's parents were a little eccentric. They loved Halloween, and all their vacations took place around various creepy establishments, like a haunted Swedish vicarage, the RMS Queen Mary, and the Tower of London. They kept a blog about it. Unlike her parents, Christina hated gruesome stuff. She liked things that were calm, peaceful, safe. She'd rather be back at their hotel in Cluj-Napoca, getting room service in bed. But she never complained. Christina was a quiet person. She took pride in it. She could enter a room and not be noticed until she spoke. Her very being was soft. Christina groaned as she watched her mom, Diana, gently touch the trunk of a twisted tree, like she was in some kind of holy land. Meanwhile, Christina's dad, Jeremy, was walking ahead, his eyes glued to the Maps app on his phone. They were trying to find the clearing. Apparently, some guy saw a flying saucer over it in the 60s. But Christina had Googled the 60s, and there was a lot of hallucinogenic drugs going on around then. So... Diana and Jeremy stepped into the forest, and Christina followed. Diana turned and startled when she saw Christina was right behind her. Christina smiled. The quiet mouse strikes again. The light dimmed as soon as they entered the woods, the thick canopy above them creating a dense shade. But the change in light wasn't the strangest part. It was the shape of the trees. To Christina's left, there was a grove that all had the same bend at the top of their trunk, like saluting soldiers standing guard. Her parents continued on, and Christina slowly trailed them. After a while, sunlight shined through the leaves again, and her parents giggled like children. They were almost at the clearing, Jeremy announced. Diana told Christina excitedly that a group of peasants were killed there. Christina shivered. Fantastic. Moments later, they stepped out of the tree line. Christina had to admit it was kind of cool. There was nothing growing here but brownish grass. The thick mess of trees literally stopped on all sides in a perfect circle. 
Christina then watched in horror as her parents started to set up camp. She said she thought they were going back to the hotel tonight. Jeremy and Diana laughed and asked her what she thought all the gear was for. Christina wanted to scream. Not only had she been dragged into these creepy woods, she'd have to sleep here. Tears sprang to her eyes. But once again, she said nothing. Instead, her anger simmered, growing more intense by the moment. A gust of wind whipped through the clearing, like it was goading on Christina's fury. She watched her parents set up the tent. She could just leave. They probably wouldn't even notice that she was gone. They barely noticed her anyways. And if she got away with it, she'd have the hotel to herself tonight. She could finally get room service in bed. It was just a thought, but she felt herself slowly backing away. Her parents didn't look up, and soon she was at the train line. She just had to take one more step to re-enter the woods. She looked at her parents one last time, and once again they failed to notice or care what she was doing, so she gently slipped into the trees. Christina delicately crept through the woods. They'd only walked for about 10 minutes in the same direction, so she knew she just had to keep going straight. Above her, a crow screamed, perched on a tree whose branches looked like hands. Christina shuddered and glanced at her watch. She'd been walking for over 10 minutes, and there still hadn't been a break in the trees. And it was getting darker. Christina picked up her pace, but with each moment she didn't see the end of the woods, her worry grew. She had somehow gotten lost. Panic tightened her chest, and she was about to call for her parents. But then, Christina heard her parents yelling her name. Relief flooded her. As mad as she was at them, she really didn't want to get lost in here. She hurried to the direction of their voices, but she couldn't see them. And soon, their calls echoed and contorted, blending together in what became a cacophony of moans. Christina caught some movement out of the corner of her eye. There was a tight gathering of twisted trees a few yards away. It's where the moans were coming from, and there was something moving out of their trunks. They were hands. Christina's stomach flipped. She squeezed her eyes shut, but when she opened them, they were still there. They continued to reach out of the tree trunks until they became arms and heads. And they were people pulling themselves from the trees. A woman stepped onto the forest floor. She wore a shabby gray shift with embroidering on the skirt. The others were dressed similarly. Christina stared in shock, wondering if this was some kind of tourism trick or she swallowed the lump in her throat. Or maybe this place was actually haunted. Suddenly, she heard another voice. Christina whipped around and froze. There was a boy about her age standing behind her. He was dressed similarly to the others, old-fashioned with worn, embroidered clothes. Christina's heart pounded in her chest, but he didn't look terrifying, just curious. He spoke, his voice in nearly a whisper, 
but she couldn't understand him. He must have been speaking Romanian. He then pointed to his ear and shook his head. It seemed like he was saying he hadn't heard her. Christina nodded, relieved. Thank God her quiet footsteps paid off. She tried to ask him if he knew how to get out of the forest. The boy stared at her for a long time. Christina felt the hair in her arms raise. She could tell that he was making some kind of decision about her. Finally, he whispered a word she understood. Run. Christina's blood chilled. She glanced back at the tree people, but then felt the boy's hands press against her back. He was pushing her away. Christina staggered forward, breaking a large stick in half with a loud snap. The tree people began to scream. They'd seen her. Their arms raised simultaneously to point at her as they wailed. Christina gasped and ran. Branches tore at her arms and face, but she didn't stop. She could hear the relentless screams at her back, but she wasn't watching her footing. Christina tripped on a rock and went flying. She hit the ground hard, smacking her head against a root with alarming force. Then, everything went black. Christina opened her eyes, expecting to see her attackers standing over her, but she could only see the sky. She sat up in confusion. She was at the forest's edge. She couldn't believe it. She'd been so deep in the forest when she fell. Had someone moved her? She stood unsteadily, but she couldn't get away from the Hoya Bachu fast enough. Christina made it down the hill, and soon civilization blossomed around her. She hurried through the streets, finally arriving at the block her hotel was on. But a flyer on a telephone pole caught her attention. It was her face, in black and white, with the word disparut beneath it. She didn't know what the word meant, but it was clearly a missing persons flyer. There was a date on it, too. The same day she and her parents had gone into the woods. She must have been out longer than she thought if her parents had reported her missing. Christina entered the hotel and approached the front desk. She remembered the clerk. He'd checked them in. Though he looked a little older and more tired this time. When he looked up at her, his face went white. He murmured something in Romanian and grabbed the phone. When she asked him where her parents were, he shook his head and whispered that they checked out. About five years ago. The world began to swirl, and Christina grabbed the reception counter to steady herself. She was not used to being noticed, but this time, she disappeared completely. One of Hoyabachu's most popular legends is about a young girl who disappeared in the woods and reappeared five years later, without having aged a day. It's tales like these that cement Hoyabachu's legendary reputation as the Bermuda Triangle of Romania. Like the Triangle, the Hoyabachu Forest is a place of mystery, a strange void where those who enter may never re-emerge. But unlike the Bermuda Triangle, 
The Hoyabachu's eerie occurrences seem to defy scientific explanation. And when science has no answers, supernatural theories prevail. There's an ancient spiritual idea that some places on this earth are thin. In some of these locales, a person might feel closer to heaven and filled with a sense of awe or otherworldly majesty. But if there are places where the layer between heaven and earth are thin, it stands to reason that there are places where the space between earth and hell is porous too. What some claim is a portal to another dimension may just be a slight rift in the fabric of an already thin place between earth and the fiery realm below. So watch your step when you weave amongst the braided trunks of Hoyabachu's trees. You might think you've wandered into the clearing, but in reality, you may have found a gateway to hell. Thanks again for tuning into Haunted Places. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode. And don't forget to come back on Tuesday for our Urban Legends series, available only on Spotify. You can find more episodes of Haunted Places and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Haunted Places is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Kenny Hobbs with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Haunted Places was written by Kate Murdoch, with writing assistance by Alex Garland, fact-checking by Claire Cronin, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Greg Polson. <laughs>